But we're glad you're here celebrating Emmanuel, which is our text today. One verse we're going to focus on and look at this, and you will learn something new from the Word of God because I did. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. We spent the last four weeks in Matthew uh, learning about this, how the Jews understood Jesus. Matthew, of course, was the tax collector who leaves everything, who was a traitor to his own country, but comes to the Lord, leaves everything, leaves Rome, and gets set free, really, and finds his identity in Christ in the Savior. So we hear here in Matthew 23, and one of the most powerful single verses in the New Testament, because it speaks all the way from Isaiah throughout all of the Bible, Matthew 123. You know it so well, so familiar. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That beautiful, wonderful word, Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. God with us. Well, where does these, this scripture come from? This is a quote from Isaiah, 700 years earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, which we'll look at. But let's look at 1 Timothy first. This is 1 Timothy chapter 3, 14. No, I've got to get there. No wonder that looked funny. I'm in the wrong book. 1 Timothy 3, 14. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This God of eternity... We're finite. We live in this little sliver of time. Even if, like me, you, you love history, you try to incorporate and understand the history of the world, first through the Bible, from Genesis all the way to now, and then you, you want to understand a little bit about the future and understanding God's plan. It's so small compared to the infinite God of the universe. And he's saying this, this huge God, without controversy, it's so mysterious. There's so much we do not know. There's so much of eternity yet to be explored in heaven. I'm going to be there. I want you to be also. Amen? We get to explore. See, I'm an explorer. I want to go. I want to do. I want to experience. I want to. Come on, guys. Come on. We get to explore the depths of God for eternity. That sounds good, doesn't it? So listen what he says. Great is the mystery of godliness, but I want you to know some things are set in concrete. I want you to know there's some unchangeable facts unchangeable things. And these are the unchangeable things. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. There is a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things. One, two, three, four. Six things. What does it start with? What is the first thing it says? God was what? Manifested in the flesh. Emmanuel has come. That's a fact. That's an absolute. God came to us in flesh. His name is Jesus. So despite all the mysteries and all the unknowns and eternity past and present and everything going on, let me tell you what is set. Emmanuel came. His name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. We got that straight. Well, we are on a firm foundation, aren't we? 
Well, the world can be on what they want to be on. I'm on the unmovable rock of Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh. So this very famous scripture, Matthew 123, it's a quote, right? It's a quote from Isaiah 700 years before. What is it all about? You can't understand Matthew 23. You can't understand the birth of Christ without understanding what's going on in Isaiah and in the world history at the time. So we need to read a little bit of that. This is Isaiah. We need to go to Isaiah chapter 7. So let me set this up. What's going on is, remember, Israel's divided. We've got two kingdoms. We've got Judah and Benjamin in the south. We've got all the, the kingdoms of the north. And the northern kingdoms are very mixed. We've got not only some godly kings, we've got some ungodly kings, and some of the kings that are ruling in, the, uh, in Israel at the time, in the northern kingdoms, they're not even Israeli anymore. They're, they're of different tribes. We've kind of taken them over. So these three kings get together and say, you know what we need to do? That old Ahaz, he's weak. I tell you what, you talk about some trade routes, some sweet property. Let's go in. He's weak right now. Let's us get together, and we're going to take over. And we're going to put a king that we can kind of rule and reign so all the people don't have a continuous civil war, and we'll take this thing over. So this is what's happening, and Ahaz is freaking out, and the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah in Isaiah 7, 3, and this is what he says. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go now to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jahash. This is his son. He named his son a remnant will return. You and your son at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to Fuller's Field. Wow, this is specific. You go to this place right here, exactly what I tell you to do, and say to him, okay, what am I supposed to say to him? You say, don't worry about any of these kings. You don't worry about them. I'm coming. I'll take care of them. In fact, all these kingdoms, and this is the analogy he gives, gives, it's like a candle at the very end. It's about to go out. You don't worry at all. But Ahaz is weak. Ahaz is full of fear. And Ahaz cannot make spiritual decisions for his country. So we pick it up in verse 10. Moreover, the word of the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. We've got to stop there and understand. Isaiah comes up and he says, Look, God's going to take care of this if you'll trust him. Ahaz is, God knows the intentions of all our hearts, right? He knows the intentions of our hearts. Ahab's fluttering, shaking at the knees. So God is going to extend grace to Ahab. God is going to help him in it. I'm sorry, I'm saying Ahab. Ahaz, excuse me, wrong king, Ahaz. He's going to extend it by the mouth of Isaiah. He says, all right, this is unprecedented. He says, I want you to ask the Lord. He'll give you any sign you want to prove to you that he's God and that he'll take care of this. Any sign. In the height above, in the depth, if you want the sun to stop, ask him to make the sun stop. You want the stars to stop, that's what he says, right? In the height above or beneath, any sign you want, and he's going to show you that he's God. And Ahaz pulls a, well, I'll give a spiritual answer to fix this problem. He's not going to surrender to God. He's not going to trust God. He just sugarcoats it spiritually. 
verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Verse 13. Then he said, Isaiah, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? In this sugar-coated answer, Ahaz goes, Look, I can't give all this to the Lord. I've already got an idea and a plan. I've got a life laid out. And let me tell you what that life is. It's to get in bed. It's to make an alliance with the king of Assyria. I've already got it worked out. If you read the previous before and you read uh, 2 Chronicles, it will tell you he's already been working on a plan. And I don't need Jesus to mess up my plan. I've got one already. And Isaiah steps forward and says, okay. I've planned this from the foundation of the world. But just to make it very clear, I'm going to speak it again into your ears and to Israel. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Because you didn't want one and you didn't want to trust the Lord. And you thought this large, the biggest empire the world had ever seen was Assyria. Little Israel had never seen anything like that because they were looking at man instead of God. And they thought, nothing's bigger and better than this. This is what we're going to align ourselves with. They said, that's fine. I will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What's the significance of all this? This is going to mark a line in the sand and put dates on on the coming of the Messiah and the end of Israel as a kingdom, as a kingdom. God's people will always be God's people, but an end as the kingdom like it is. This is why. God says enough. Enough of man's weaknesses. Enough of man's frailties. Enough of man's plans. There is no king that can do it. Even King David in his height, he got old and died. No more. No more. Emmanuel's coming. And he will set up his kingdom and his throne forever. Amen? No more weakness. No more relying on the the weakness of Ahaz. No more relying on every man changes his opinion and changes his direction because of what's going on in the world or fear. No more. It's time for Emmanuel. God with us. This is 700 years before with the impending um, Assyrian army coming in. And this is why Matthew with the dominant Rome, M, Roman Empire, steps up and, let me, and says, let me tell you, it's Emmanuel time. It's God with us, and no more will you, Israel, have to rely on a man, or a government, or a king, or an earthly priest. No more. It'll be God with you. All right. I added that effect right there for you guys. That's why that's doing that today, just to give it a little more. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> well, let's get some um, points here from Matthew one twenty three. Hopefully you understand the context now of why we're reading Matthew 23. If you don't understand the context, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to you. You need to understand the whole picture. Now we have it, and we understand we're in Matthew 23. Let's look at this. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. I even like the King James on this one. And shall bring forth a son. 
and shall bring forth. Like, it will be birthed. It must come to pass is the picture in the Greek there. It must happen. It surely will happen. God's planned it from the creation. It's spoken of in Genesis. It's prophesied through the entire history of the world. It must happen. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's totally different than anything on this planet. You ever try to get an extended warranty? You ever try to get one of those? Listen, if you buy this for $500, even though you only pay $200 for this, it'll be good for five more years. Really? Can I buy two more of that for that price? You don't even see lifetime warranty anymore. They don't even make those, do they? They don't even make lifetime warranties anymore. But this right here says, surely it's going to happen. Isaiah said it 700 years before. Moses said it. The prophet said it. David proclaimed it. It was talked about all, through, all throughout time. And if you go all the way back to Genesis, it says, listen, the seed of woman is going to crush his head. Amen? And surely it has happened. Number one on your notes. What the Holy Spirit conceives never dies. It's not abortive. It can't miscarriage. It can't fall short. What the Holy Spirit conceives, it cannot and will not die. It's the word of God. Does this fail or falter? Does it slip up? No. The word of God does not fail. It will not fail in your life. It did not fail in Isaiah's. It did not fail in Matthew's. It has not failed in mine. Amen? What he conceives never ever dies. This is proclaimed throughout all the Bible. A couple of quick scriptures here. Psalm 33. This is 33:11. The counsel of the Lord stands how long? Forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. I love this scripture. Don't ever get too upset when bad things happen. Government, family, whatever. He said he was faithful in every generation. That means when I'm dead and gone and I can't watch out for my grandchildren, He'll take care of them. Amen? He's bigger than me. And I don't want my prowess or my ability or my Bible knowledge. He will put his heart in every generation. For his heart into all generations. Look at what Isaiah says in another place here. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I feel better already. Look, we're just in point one. Ooh, this is good. This is good. I told a story of several months ago, um, and I was thinking about the story, and I, and I remember something about it. I didn't, so you're going to hear it again, but with a new twist. I worked in Colorado for uh, four years plus before we moved here and started this church. Most of you know that. My sending church, my pastor is Pastor Mike Ware. He's from Louisiana. He's been there since he was 33, I believe, he started the church. He's well into his 60s. He comes every year here. He told me a story. Um, I had been there about a year, and he, toward the end of his senior pastorship, because he only had a few years left, he'd been doing it for 20-something years, he was traveling a lot with Larry Stockstill, doing a lot of missions, a lot of search stuff, a lot of church planning, but he was still pastoring. So it was a wear on him. That's, that's his last name's Ware. That's funny. I just got that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm having this monologue with myself, apparently. <laughs> All right. So he was telling me, um, about, I ask him every few weeks, hey, where are you going now? Where are you going now? And, you know, I'm going here. I'm just going to go and serve and do this. And he was happy to do it, right? He was encouraged. He was happy to do it. But it's a, 
it's hard to travel. Y'all know, if anybody's going to travel in the holidays, we're going to have a special prayer time for you. If you're traveling over the next few days, you just come up at the end of service. So he says, um, I'm going to Argentina. And he smiles like that. I'm like, all right, have you ever been there? No, I haven't. I said, well, he's way more excited about Argentina than all these other places. Something's going on. I said, what's the deal with Argentina? He said, well, let me tell you the story. He said, 31 years ago, I was 30 years old and I had given my life to Jesus. I had surrendered. I was in, I was in, uh, I had just getting ready to start in the ministry. I was helping at Bethany a whole lot and doing things. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, you're going to go to Argentina. 31 years, he said, of silence. He said, I've only pastored this church 20, it, it would be 28 years. 28 years. The Lord spoke to him before he even started the church. And he said, but I got a call. And everything lined up. Uh, the, all the, the, um, the, the calendar and this job and that. And he said, I knew it was the Lord. He said, this happened and that and everything just lined straight up. And he said, I want to tell you, 31 years I've been waiting for God to fulfill this. I leave tomorrow. Now, I've told that story before. But what I forgot about is I was standing in the hallway, and it was a long, wide hallway. The hallway was as long as this whole room, and it was about this wide. Now, he's, you know, 61 at the time. He's older now. You usually don't bounce at 61 as much as you used to. All right, I haven't been, I'm not there yet. I'm not knocking on anybody. I'm just saying you're not quite as bouncy. That's what they tell me. But I remember now turning away to walk, and he went that way, and I turned back. And I think I was going to say something, but I didn't say any. I turned back, and this long hallway, how do I? Do you remember the Jeffersons? I was a little kid. when. Remember that moving on up, and he's walking like this? That's what he's doing. And he's lanky and white, so it's like a Gumby man. I'm going to Argentina. I thought, oh, the word of the Lord doesn't just fulfill. It fills you, invigorates you, changes everything about you when it comes to fruition. Amen? So you grab the word of the Lord and you put it in there and say, Lord, when you want to birth this thing, you birth it. It's coming. It's coming out. And oh, <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm going to Argentina. Let me tell you about Pastor Mike, too. This was a big change in his life. His, he's always a vision guy and all this. But most of the time that I knew him and worked for him, I said, you know, vision and all this, that's not his number one spiritual gift. I said, faith is his number one spiritual gift. All the time. It'll be okay. You don't God take care of it. Ugh, the word blows up. Ah, it'll be all right. Don't worry about it. Nothing bothered him. Nothing bothered him. I'm like, get bothered about something. Come on. No. I'm going to tell you why nothing bothered him. You know why? Because when the Lord fulfills 31 years of waiting, nothing bothers you. Amen? Come on now. I'm going to tell you who wasn't bothered anymore. Matthew was not bothered anymore. Amen? You and I, God wants to bring all of us to this place of saying, the Lord has, had the Lord put it in there, he's going to bring this thing to fruition. There's no miscarriages. There's no death. It ain't going to happen. The Lord's done it. All right. Amen. That's all I got on that one. You're like, Pastor, my, Pastor Stephen walked so funny in church today. That's all you're going to remember. Let's keep looking. 
Oh, it's going to be born. And bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And they shall call his name. This group. It could have said Israel. It could have said I. It could have said you. It didn't. It's plural. And it's plural on purpose. Are there any words in the Bible that are mispronounced and done wrong? No. It's done for a reason. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. There's a reason that Moses said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, let them come to me. There's a reason Joshua said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a reason David proclaimed, let us go into the tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. There's a reason it says they, number two on your notes. Group confession is the standard of the New Testament. Look around you. Come on, look around. Oh, look at us. You know where we are right now? I see some group confession. You need to find yourself in the word of God. And today, what's today? December 22nd, 2019, in this life that is fleeting. Look, you think this is just church? It is. We do this every week. You think this is light stuff? You think this is just some duty and it doesn't matter? You think it doesn't matter that those children got together in a group and said, Jesus, amen? You think this is small stuff? This is not small stuff. This is proclaiming Emmanuel, God with us. That's what you do every time you get together in a group in his name. Now, you're almost always in groups. We all got to go to work, right? Now, you don't go to, go, you don't go to work because of Emmanuel, God with us. That's not the focus of it. You got to work. It's okay. Find yourself and in your life, Emmanuel things. Find yourself in groups that say, we will call his name Emmanuel. Amen? Oh, don't we want that? Is that not the whole point of so much of these holiday seasons with our family? When we sit around and we pray, when we talk and do presents, that's what it is, isn't it? That's what we're doing here. And they will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. It is the confession of the New Testament. You can't do it differently. Look what Matthew 10 says, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. I will err on the side of confessing. Amen? That's fine. I, as a child, oh, we were at church every time the door was open. Oh, my goodness. How I, oh, I can't imagine. Every time, three hours, three times a week, all the time. I am so glad I had a God-fearing person who said, I will err on the side of group confession. Amen? Call your mom and daddy today who made you go to church and say, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much that you erred on the side of group confession. All right, let's keep looking here. One more. Verse 23. 
of Matthew. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, you smile when you say this one, God with us. God with us. So, of course, always Scripture interprets Scripture. So when I read this and I thought about this, I wanted to know, okay, where is this most clearly seen in the Old Testament? We know it's been in the heart of God from the creation, from the fall. Where do we most clearly see this in the Old Testament, this God with us? And to my surprise, and this would be my opinion, obviously, but strong Scripture to back it up, it's in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel, you know, can get muddy in your mind, all the prophets and the times and everything. So let me walk you through the life of Ezekiel, some time we have left. Ezekiel is 30 years old, a priest. 30 years old is when you get to start full time in the priesthood. He's, he's a man on a mission. He's got good stock. His daddy was a priest. And he's got a good life in front of him. He's not quite married yet. He's getting ready to get in his career, and he's excited. Well, at 30 years old, Ezekiel's going to live 557 to 573 B.C. Ezekiel, getting ready to be the priest, has a vision. It's a worse kind of vision. He sees a dark cloud on the horizon, a storm like they've never seen. And the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel and says, Brother, you won't be a priest. There will be no priesthood for you. You'll be a prophet. And most all of your life from this day forward will be spent in, in bondage in Babylon. So the cloud comes. His name's Nebuchadnezzar, and it's a massive army because of the sins of Israel. So he's taken from that Israel away from his, the only place he can work, the temple. There's no temple in Babylon. Even the picture in Babylon, to see it, is gone. So he heads to Babylon. And in Babylon, he's still going to be a prophet, and he's going to have a, some difficulty. He's the one who has to lay on his side for many days, remember? If you go to Whole Foods, you can eat some of his bread, right? Ezekiel 4.9, it's all good for toast until you've got to eat it for like 40 days in a row and live on it, right? Then he's going to lay on his side. I said the lay on his side thing. He's going to have to eat. Please forgive me for, for being crass. It's in the Bible. He's going to have to eat bread mixed with cow dung. To show that the, his, his people are in the midst and they're eating junk. And they're living in Babylon and they're like Babylonians. Let me give you a couple of pictures. This first picture here. He has a vision of the Lord. And I, when I first thought about it, I was like, well, man, he had this amazing vision of God. And sees the will and the wheel and the, the four faces and all this stuff. But I'm going to tell you, this would have scared the mess out of anyone. Imagine standing at Mount Everest as small as you are, and looking up and realizing how small you are, right? This is what he sees. He sees this unbelievable vision. See, the next one is when he lays on his side for, um, for weeks and weeks at a time. And this is when the elders of Israel and in Babylon, are, you know, they don't want to listen to him and all these things. So what happens is he's going to obey the Lord. He's a man of God. He's going to obey the Lord. He's going to obey the Lord. He's going to have visions of the past, all the way visions, all kind of visions of the future, not only of the empires, but all the way until the return of Christ, all these visions. So he has a difficult life, though. And this is for sure the most difficult thing in his life we find in Ezekiel 24. 
Ezekiel 24, 15. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man. Remember, that's like Jesus, right? That's the Old Testament um, the Old Testament uh, identity of Jesus. Behold, I will take from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Yet you shall neither mourn nor weep, nor, sh- nor shall your tears run down. Sigh in silence and make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So I spoke to the people in the morning. And at evening, what do those next few words say? Now you talk about trauma. Life's over. Life's changed like this. And this guy wouldn't, it's not like he was unknown to trauma already. He had already grown, spent most of his life in bondage in Babylon. His whole career was changed. Everything was changed. His wife was gone. And the next morning, I did as I was commanded. The next morning, I did as I was commanded. Let's keep reading so we can understand this. And I answered them, the word of the Lord came to me saying, speak to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will profane my sanctuary, your arrogant boast, the desire of your eyes, right? Because he went in the first wave of Babylon, Israel's not destroyed yet, but it's getting ready to be. The delight of your soul and your sons and your daughters whom you left behind shall fall by the sword. Now everybody's listening to him. Let me explain. This is all going to come together. No one was listening, and they had great struggles listening to Ezekiel. His prophecies were true and right, but they weren't listening. And see, God loves his people, and he wants them to listen and obey his voice. This is going to get deep in your theology. If God has to take from Ezekiel the most precious thing on this planet, the Bible says the delight of his eyes, so that... His voice will be heard clearly so his people can hear and understand the word of the Lord. He will do it, and he's holy and righteous in his actions. Let me tell you why. So that you and I could understand salvation, he hung his own son on the cross. Right? Is that right? So we could understand salvation, understand the depth of our sin and the need of salvation. What does all this have to do with Emmanuel, God with us? What does all this have to do with it? Why is Ezekiel the the clearest statement of that? It's because the last words of Ezekiel ever recorded. It's in the last book. In the last, in the, it's in the book, in the last chapter, in the very last verse. Ezekiel's wife dies. He lives a long life. He prophesies for many years. The last eight chapters of Ezekiel, he sees the new Jerusalem. And in exquisite detail and order, he sees what God has planned and will do 
in with his people and where his people dead and alive past and present will be now who is that past present who's dead who is it who's dead in his life his wife right here's a few pictures just to illustrate that some let me show you this i didn't know this existed this is the delight of his life an artist rendering he did have children this is a little bit of uh, hyperbole. We don't know if, you know, what age and all that kind of stuff. This is his wife. This is him. This is at the river in Babylon. This is not in Israel because he's already in exile. So it says, the delight of your eyes will be gone like that. Uh, look at these next pictures here. This is him in mourning, in quiet. He can mourn, but he doesn't mourn out loud. He doesn't mourn like they do in Israel. He doesn't make a public spectacle of it. It's in total silence. And he doesn't have a lot of time to mourn because he's got to obey the Lord. Let me give us one more here, I think. He covers her up and he goes, obeys the Lord. Why does all this matter? How does all this have to do with the, you know, Emmanuel, God with us? It all comes down to one scripture in Ezekiel. So for eight chapters, for eight chapters, Ezekiel is going to define like an architect all the uh, measurements of the new city, what the new Jerusalem is going to look like, what God's people are going to have and going to be like. Now watch the last verse of Ezekiel, last chapter in Ezekiel 48. The very last words of Ezekiel. All the way around has been 18,000 cubits. Here it is. And the name of the city from that day shall be called what? Oh, that sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. You see, Christians, whether you live to be 100 or your life's cut short or what's going on, you have one decision and one hope. Is God there? Right? Is he in your life? Is he your savior? Can you say God with us? Yes, he had to go through the brief and momentary pain of his wife's death, but really it was joyous because she was there before he was, and she got to be there longer. This is where his wife was. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. God with us. Number three on your notes. Momentary suffering is eclipsed by this statement. Difficulty, pain, whatever you've dealt with in your life, you all have. I have. It is eclipsed by God with us. Ezekiel's was eclipsed by God is there. That's why you don't live in your past. That's why you're free in your present. And that's why you have hope in your future. Amen? Amen. You don't live in your past. You have peace and joy in your present. You have great hope for your future. Because God is there. God is there, this God with us. One last quote here as we end. You can get that video ready. It is an honor to be asked to do something difficult for God. Let's think about that one. It is an honor to be asked to do something difficult for God. That's what all the disciples said. They were so honored that they could suffer for him. Right. 
It is an honor in our life to be asked to do anything difficult, whether it's to go through difficulty of sin, difficulty in raising kids, difficulty of jobs, difficulty of physical sicknesses and trusting in a good God, difficulty of why, Lord, but saying, I trust you. I'm not Ahaz. Amen. As we have a few minutes before we close here, we're going to you're going to listen to a, a instrumental version of Emmanuel. Just three ish minutes long. I want you to spend some time thinking and reflecting on those scriptures. He is there. God with us. He is there. Emmanuel, God with us.
Let's stand up. Do you know what the most repeated common word in that beautiful, probably one of my favorite Christmas songs is? Emmanuel is the key, and what's repeated the most? Rejoice. Rejoice. It's what Ezekiel said. It's how he ended it. It's what Matthew said. I'm just going to line up with those guys. Amen? Come on, let's, let's come to the Lord right now as we close. Honing in on this Christmas week. Oh, thank you, Lord. Come on, let's come to the Lord. Oh, Lord, you're so good. Ezekiel never lacked any good thing. Matthew never lacked from you, Lord. Lord, you filled his mouth with good things. He saw the destruction of his country. He didn't get to be the priest he thought, but oh God, (laughs) he saw the eternal Jerusalem. He saw that God was there. Oh, Matthew got to proclaim and see God with us. Lord, we are so honored to live on the victorious side of the cross. We live this new covenant through Jesus. What an honor that we can so proudly, so boldly, yet so simply proclaim God is with us. His name is Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He gives me eternal life. He's the one that doesn't leave or forsake. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. What a reason to rejoice, Lord. What a wonderful time that we get to reflect on Emmanuel, God with us. He is there. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord for all your goodness. Thank you so much that we can reflect this holiday season, that you are there in every season, in every situation. And, oh, Lord, we will be with you eternally. You are our God, our Emmanuel. And we pray and we thank you in that wonderful, wonderful name, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. Give him a hand. Thank you, Lord. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas week. We hope to see you all on Tuesday.